Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of This Week in Innovation. Today, we have George Shaw, founder and CEO of Pather.ai, and we're going to have a really interesting discussion on retail spatial intelligence. Hey, George, how are you doing today? Hey, Jeff, I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. I wonder if you could start us off by introducing yourself a little bit and telling us about your company and the problem you're solving. Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm George Shaw, founder and CEO of Pather. I originally started doing this kind of work, which is spatial intelligence, back at the MIT Media Lab about 2008 or so. Started working on retail analytics then. And then when I left the Media Lab, I went to a company called Retail Next and enjoyed about six years there where we were building all kinds of interesting tech for in-store analytics and understanding behavior in retail stores. After Retail Next, I went to various startups Everything I've done, though, has been about spatial intelligence, understanding the movement of people through physical spaces, using technology, using AI, and then generating insights and generating value from that movement information for the operators of those spaces. So that's exactly what Pather does. We're the world's first spatial intelligence platform in real time, world's first real time spatial intelligence platform. And so we use existing infrastructure. Typically, we use security cameras. We can use other for other sources of data in order to locate people in space. We operate in a variety of industries, but retail is a big focus for us. So we can use existing security cameras to track folks anonymously as they move around retail stores. And then we layer machine learning on top of that in order to understand that tracking from the perspective of the operators of those stores. A lot of the, a lot of the inspiration for what we do and some of the, it's a, a really good mental model for understanding what Pather does came from one of the startups that I spent some time at, which is called Second Spectrum. They're a sports analytics company. And they started out working with the NBA, working in basketball. Back in 2011, the NBA started tracking every player in every game. And it wasn't until Second Spectrum came along and was able to pick out the plays in the game that a coach would care about using machine learning, that tracking became super valuable. Initially in 2011, the NBA was telling people how many players were on the court and how far they ran in a game. It was trivia metrics. But Second Spectrum was able to say, this is a pick and roll, this is an off-ball screen, here's a wide pin, and this is a post-up, hard shot, easy shot, and all the features of a game so that a coach could go and better coach the team using this kind of data. That's since expanded to enhancing digital broadcasts. If you watch an NBA game online, you've seen Second Spectrum's AI. You've seen some of the work that, that I helped to do while I was over there. But I think that's a really good template to use for understanding what Pather does in retail stores. Taking that tracking data, making it more valuable by layering machine learning on to find the plays on the floor, on the sales floor, that a manager would care about. Wow, really interesting. So how many retailers are doing something with spatial at this point? Do you have a sense? It depends how you define spatial intelligence by, okay. by a very broad well, Let's start definition. there. Let's. What is the definition of spatial intelligence then? Yeah, I think if you take the broadest definition, understanding people moving through physical spaces, that can include traffic counting, that can include various tracking solutions of, of all different kinds. And in that context, just about every retailer is doing some form of that. But if you define it more narrowly and if you define it more in a forward-looking way, thinking about the innovation and what Pather is really focused on, which is the more complex understanding of that tracking data using machine learning, there aren't as many retailers doing that. And that, that's really what we think is the next generation and the, and the next step in where this tech is going is to have more comprehensive views of these physical spaces. So every retailer counts traffic at their front door, but they don't know what's going on the sales floor, for example. 
So having a more comprehensive view, looking at the sales floor, looking at the checkouts and the queues, the fitting rooms and so on, and then layering in this business intelligence to make better sense of that. Everybody's seen a heat map before. That's the crawl version of spatial intelligence. But as you work your way up that chain, you get to things like understanding queuing behavior, understanding selling behavior by sales associates, or understanding suspicious or fraudulent behavior. There's these more sophisticated behaviors that can be understood. And currently there, there aren't very many retailers doing that because there aren't very many companies like ours that are doing it. Our customer portfolio is probably half of the retailers in the world that are currently doing this kind of more sophisticated spatial intelligence. You're teasing me as an analyst. So I'm trying to figure out market size and also trying to figure out where we are in adoption. Can you give me like some kind of a broad hint at the number? Let's say by tier. So tier one, greater than a billion dollars in revenue, U.S. revenue. You have a percent or number that are playing in that space? Is it mostly at the tier one level or has it gone down into tier two, tier three? It, it, it's interesting. It's at the top end and the bottom end of the spectrum there. The tier ones are thinking about this kind of thing and we're working with a number of them. We're working with six or seven Ten. tier one retailers. Currently. And then the mom and pops are also thinking about this kind of stuff. Are they much smaller outfits where they've got two or three stores, even some of the small bodegas and places like that, because it's more easy to deploy. They're able to get it into those environments. When you think about market size to your analyst mind, the potential market size is enormous. Our vision is that this kind of tech runs anywhere that people are walking around, not just in retail. This is in commercial real estate and shopping malls and office buildings and manufacturing facilities. The same way you would never put up a website and not attach analytics to it. You would always want some way of understanding what your visitors to your website do. That's how we think putting up a building should be, operating in a physical space. You want analytics to understand what folks are doing there. So let's talk a little bit about what your solution actually is. I heard you mention LP cameras and back a hundred years ago when I was back in retail, we were not allowed, at least the operations guys were not allowed to touch LP for anything other than LP. So I'm just curious where we are now. If you're able to use LP cameras for non-LP functions, I assume that cuts down the cost of installation. What is your solution? Is it hardware, software, and services or... What is that? Yeah, we're a software solution. A hundred years later, it took a hundred years, but that barrier has come down. The operations folks, merchandising, marketing, everybody is realizing that they have this untapped asset sitting in every store they've got, which is these cameras. A very powerful source of data. There's lots of camera coverage already that's going largely unused. Loss prevention uses that typically forensically. If something bad happens, they want to go back and see what happened and use the video in that way. But this is making a new use of that video, which everybody is finding really valuable. Even the loss prevention teams who historically have been a little bit hesitant to, to let people use their cameras, like you were saying, are realizing the value in that, partly because we're also enhancing their ability to do their jobs. The ability to find suspicious behavior, the ability to pick out certain types of fraud, a cash return with no customer present is one that comes up all the time. That's really straightforward for us to do automatically and so it really makes the loss prevention team's jobs easier. So I think the short answer is that across these enterprises, especially the tier one retailers, they're realizing that this is a great way to make better use of these existing cameras. You asked about how we do what we do. So we tap into those existing camera feeds and then our software is able to track people anonymously as they move around the space just using those existing feeds. That's part of the 
kind of secret sauce that we built is that ability to do that tracking using those existing feeds. And then we apply our machine learning. So given that you have dots moving around a map, this is the tracking part of it. What can you understand from those dots? And that's where our machine learning comes in to be able to generate better analytics and real answers. We don't want to give people nice to haves. We want to give operators data that they can use to operate their business. So dwell time. Oh, actually, so heat mapping for sure, but dwell time down to an individual person in front of a marketing display? Are you that sophisticated and that individual? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we measure dwell time in, in various different ways. How long is a dwell? We have some customers that want to know about stops and dwells and shopping in three different kind of categories. A stop would be just any time you broke stride and you stopped in front of a fixture. A dwell might be three or four seconds, whereas shopping might be 10 or 15 seconds. And they want to look at all those different categories for every individual walking around. And then also at the at a very granular fixture level. So for every product in an entire store, we're working with, for example, a regional grocer in the Northeast that's got very large stores and have complete coverage of those stores. And they want to know at every fixture how many people stop and shop that fixture, how many people pass by, so that they can better understand that shopping behavior in order to either better merchandise or provide that data back to the CPGs who are actually leasing that, that fixture space. Well, there's a bunch of different uses for it. I would almost think the CPGs would want that information as much as, if not me, maybe even more than the retailer because they're, they're paying for that space. I don't understand what's happening. They have sales data, but they don't have that dwell time. So have no real idea about that shopping behavior. Who's, so would a CPG pay for a chunk of your service or some of your data? Have you, or is it always on the retailer? Have you got that far as to, everyone wants the data, but then who's going to end up paying for it? It's an interesting dynamic. Because ultimately, the retailer has the real estate. They're the ones who, ha who have the shelves that people are shopping. So they're really in control of who has access to that data because they own that shopping experience. But you're right, the CPGs very much want that data. So we're trying to stay Switzerland here. <laughs> we provide the tech that produces the data. And whether the retailer is using that for their, to their own benefit or they're providing it back to their vendors or how that business relationship unfolds is, uh, for the most part, outside of our purview. Have you had to add any additional cameras in some of your uh, some of your pilots, or is, are the LP cameras enough to accomplish what you need to do? So we never have to add cameras because our system is able to deal with gaps in coverage and poor coverage and, and old cameras. Everybody's got old analog cameras, so we never have to add cameras. But what we'll often do is have a conversation with our customer about what's the ROI to add a camera. So you have this gap here. There's things you want to know that's in this gap in coverage, things that you can't see with your existing cameras. It might be worth it for you to add a camera. And remember, these are just commodity IP cameras. They're, they're standard right out of the box cameras, nothing exotic at all. So it's pretty inexpensive to add a camera. And so we often do have that conversation. Where if you can't see, check out number 12. And you really want to know what's happening at checkout number 12. Let's put a $300 camera on the ceiling to see it. But you're literally just using, I don't know, is, if POTS is the right term for that, but you're not talking about any, you didn't develop sophisticated cameras, you're literally using off the shelf. So LP gets some more cameras and even in that scenario, LP would get more cameras and you just use the existing, wow, that's interesting. Exactly that. And this is the direction that technology was going before we got here. I think that's one of the most important things for entrepreneurs, especially small startups. 
is to understand the direction that technology is going in already and to use that as a tailwind. And that's what we're doing in a bunch of different ways with AI, but also with cameras. Just about every physical space in the world today has more cameras than it had 10 years ago. And that's the wave that we're riding. Who is, who, what job description is your champion? Is it not store operator? Is it merch? Is it the merchant store operations? Who do you, who do you target your pitch to? Also an interesting question because we do have value in it for a bunch of different folks, but typically operations is our main champion. We do a lot of optimization of checkouts and queues. This is in big box stores. It's also in grocery stores where they want to make sure they have the right amount of checkouts open. And we can do that in real time. We can do that dynamically. So Ops loves that and that whole suite of solutions, as well as some staff training, understanding staff behavior that, that oftentimes falls under operations as well. All that being said, merchants really like some of the data that we're able to give about how people shop different fixtures versus different products. If I have the product in multiple locations, is it more effective in one spot versus another? What products are, work well adjacent to other products? So there are a bunch of those kinds of data points that merchandising likes. And then, of course, marketing, same kind of idea. We've run a promotion. Is that promotion actually working? Are people passing by the product that we're promoting? Is our signage effective? Some of those kinds of questions, too. And then the last is loss prevention. Of course, we have a little bit of value there. We talked a little bit about their interests and especially using their infrastructure. Yeah, I don't want to have you give up any secrets, but just who's paying for it then? That really becomes then who, the champion. So clearly probably ops is kicking in. Are you able to squeeze marketing and, and, uh, and the merchant teams to kick in some or is it, does it all coming out of the ops budget? Same kind of thing. We try to stay Switzerland, let these organizations sort that out themselves. The decision oftentimes goes up to the CFO, which is who has authority over all these different budgets because it, we do have value in all these different areas. And because there no one function does want to pay for this stuff. All that being said, in the cases where one function is going to pay for our solution, it's usually ops. Interesting. Where does spatial intelligence sit? What technology budget? Is that basically business intelligence or is that a, where, do you, where would you want that in the analyst landscape of, uh, of solutions? I think we call it business intelligence right? because it, it, it's understanding the constituents' behavior relative to the business. The, the thing that matters the most to a brick and mortar retail store are the customers walking in. And so understanding how they're moving around, I think, falls into BI for sure. Can you talk about any customer, probably not going to want to give me a name, but can you talk about what a deployment looks like and what kind of actual real value some of these deployments are seeing? Sure. Yeah. Let's see. A couple of big box retailers that we're working with where they've deployed our solution in some cases purely as software. So let's use the cameras we've already got. We'll put a small server in place and just run the software in order to process these existing feeds. They're seeing big gains, mainly in, in checkouts, mainly, mainly in having the right number of checkouts open at a given time, that everybody has a ratio of how many people in line to how many open checkouts they, they want to have. And so helping them maintain that sweet spot has been huge. If you overstaff, your queues will be very short, your customers will be very happy, but you've wasted staff dollars. If you understaff, and you've saved a bunch of money, but your queues will be too long, your customers will be very unhappy. So it's really this kind of Goldilocks fighting, fighting just the perfect number of checkouts at a given moment. And so our big box customers are looking exactly at that, finding exactly that sweet spot, and then they're using us to monitor that day after day in, in real time. 
Wow. Very interesting. Do you have any technology alliances or partnerships that, that are part of this? I would think a lot of the services folks would be interested in providing some intelligence around I don't know, staff augmentation or things along those lines, or certainly the data guys want more data to, to store. Can you talk yeah, about Yeah, absolutely. We, we try to be pretty good citizens of the ecosystem. We know that we can't do everything ourselves. So we do have a lot of partnerships and alliances. We work with both of the big chip makers doing AI chips. Intel and NVIDIA both have fantastic solutions. We work with both of them. Um, we work with two of the three big cloud providers, mainly Google and Microsoft on that. We work with the NVR. So there was one missing there. Right? It was that, is that on purpose? That, that, that's intentional. Okay. <laughs> in, in, in some of my past experience, I've noticed that retailers are somewhat hesitant to put their data into certain cloud environments. Yeah. Fair enough. We work with VR providers who have made video recorders for years are actually really happy to have that video that they're storing be more valuable as well. And so we can sometimes run directly on that NVR so that we're providing our analytics uh, in that environment on the NVR itself. Working with a number of camera providers as well. You asked about augmented cameras and adding cameras. That's a great opportunity for us to bring in one of our camera partners to help retailers add more cameras effectively. And the last category of partners is, uh, is the system integrators and some of the service providers who, who do want another tool in their toolbox, something else that they can go and offer as part of their suite. Wow, that's, that's quite a team you can draw against in that regards. Hey, were you at, I'm curious, were you at NRF this year? We were, yeah. How did you, I was there too. It's funny, I always covered the, the main floor in my working analyst days. And now that I'm startups, I'm down on the lower floor, which was popping for NRF, but the upper floor probably wasn't as much. Where were you at? Were you in the lower floor or were you in the? Yeah, we were in the lower floor. We were not in the innovation lab. We were in the innovation lab last time they had NRF in, in January, 2020. So this time we were on the lower floor, just outside the startup area. This would be my 11th NRF. Wow. And it was definitely very different from all the others I've been to. Attendance was super low. The main floor was not well attended, that's for sure. There were a place to sit up there, a lot of places to sit. <laughs> a lot of, exactly. There was plenty of seating. You could play soccer if you wanted. You know, soccer, football. <laughs> yeah. But for us, it was actually a fantastic show. Might have been our, our my most successful show I've been to because there was so much interest in the startups and everybody who was there at the show was much more engaged, maybe because it was less distraction, but we just had so much more interest and so much more engagement that it actually ended up being a really great show for us. That was my observation also, since I'm only covering the startup world, I was down there and I had to convince my boss, my wife to, to let me even go to New York because of COVID and then the potential flare up. So I, I, my experience with everyone I met there, with they were there on purpose. No one was there at anecdotal or, hey, this is going to be a fun lark. Everyone was like, yeah, I, I'm going to maybe the potential of the new of the new COVID bloom. And so it was definitely a, a, the lower floor was the absolute place to be without a doubt. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It's because it was harder. It was more of a challenge to go. So people were going very intentionally. So once they got there, they really wanted to learn about new tech. They were really interested. Fantastic. As we wrap up, I just want to ask you a couple of questions since you've, since you've been in the startup space for a while. What advice would you give for young entrepreneurs? I think you have a vision. Make, make sure that you have a vision. Make sure that you're not pursuing a company and your vision is to sell the company. Think about what it is you're trying to accomplish and then single-mindedly pursue that vision. It, you're going to have a lot of distractions. There's a ton of noise. There's all kinds of challenges and hurdles. And this was my first time launching a company. So I got to see all this pretty pretty recently. There's a lot of stuff that's 
going to go wrong. There's a lot of things you don't expect. And so having that North Star, I think, is really key. Knowing what it is you're building and staying laser focused on that. And finally, what skills do you use now? Do you wish you would have paid more attention to back in college or the early start of your career? So there's a skill that I used a lot in the early part of my career that I didn't expect to use in the later part of my career, which is creativity. I, I spent some time as a graphic designer. I actually went to art school way back. And I didn't expect that when I transitioned into technology, that creativity would be important and being able to create and design a solution that, that pleased the customer. I didn't expect that to be important. So I just dropped that notion when I was going into tech and now I'm realizing that that's incredibly important. And then the other would be that I didn't focus at all on early in my career and that I've found is really important. I think most folks later in their career might agree with this, is that business, no matter what level you're at, no matter what you're doing, if you're an entrepreneur or a big company or whatever, it is about people. And spending more time and more effort on kind of people skills and learning how to network effectively and those kinds of things is something that they sure don't teach you in college. And I think something that's incredibly valuable later. Yeah, I learned my networking in my fraternity. So it definitely was not part of my business training, <laughs> much to my parents' chagrin. But to be honest, a lot of that is, I probably use more of that now than some of the accounting classes I took. Right. Hey, George, thanks for your time today. How can how can retailers or other partners get a hold of you? Yeah, they get it. Feel free to, to email george at pather.ai, P-A-T-H-R dot A-I. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks for the time today. I appreciate it. And good luck. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.